0: Welcome to the third episode of Ability. I'm your host, Jacob Holt. If you haven't heard the first episode yet, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. In the intro to that first episode, I talk about my inspiration for this podcast and how I met a young woman who was blind and how it changed my perspective. For this episode, I have that young woman as a guest. Her name is Shannon McCaffrey. It was a really fun episode to make, and I hope you really enjoy it. There are some really great laughs, possibly a few tears. I'm tired of waiting, so let's jump right in. So how are you doing?
1: I am fantastic. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. It's a good day. It's nice out.
1: Yeah, I know. It's it's beautiful outside. I'm sitting outside, so...
0: Tell me about your blindness. How long have you been blind?
1: Well. It's kind of a long story, so I'll just, like, convey it the best I can. So what I've got is called Stargardt's disease, which is a form of macular degeneration, which is, macular degeneration is usually what older people get with age. And so the thing about Stargardt is that it's so rare because it's in children, because it develops as a child. So when you're around 10, 11 years old, it starts to develop. So you're not born with it, and there's no way to know if you're going to get it. It's just completely genetic. So I started developing my vision, my visual impairment, when I was 11. And uh, my sister, my twin sister, actually, she's got the same thing. And see, she developed it when she was 10. And I developed it when I was 11. But see, when she was, because the thing about Stargardt's is that it's it's hard to diagnose. So, like, she started to go through, you know, her vision loss. And she didn't really even say anything about it for a long time until, you know, how they do the vision checks when you're in school, like when you're in middle school or something. Yeah,
0: yeah they put and, up the eye chart. Uh,
1: Yes, yes, and she walked in there, and they were like, okay, go ahead and read it, and she was like, I can't see anything, you know, and she was just too scared to say anything, you know, like, how do you go to your parents and say, I can't see, you know, like, especially when there's not, you know, like, middle school just sucks, like, middle school sucks, and it's hard in general, and then adding, losing your vision on top of that, you know, so it's like, how do you go to your parents, you know? And then the other thing too is like stargardt is so rapid that you could be fine one week and then the next week it just comes on so quick. And so it's like, do you think your parents are going to believe you if you were seen completely fine last week, but then the week after you have a blind spot, you know, how do you tell someone, Hey, I can't see anymore. So I think she was just kind of scared, but they did the vision check and she said, you know, I can't see anything. And here I'm over here and I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I guess I won't worry about it. (laughs) And uh, so she started going to doctors. She went to Vanderbilt. She went to all the hospitals in Louisville and uh, they couldn't figure out what was going on, you know, and when you're in sixth grade and You can't see anything. Your vision's going bad, you know, and and no one can give you an answer. It's scary. And so she started going through that, whereas they told me, don't worry about it. You're not going to get this. It's like they told me literally it was a 3% chance I could get it. So I was just kind of like, well, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and move on with my life, and she can deal with that. And, you know, I'll help her, but I don't have to deal with it. And so it was like a year later, you know, I started to get the blind spot in the center of my vision. And so the way Stargardt says is you have a blind spot in the center of your vision. So you have no central vision at all. And then your peripheral vision, you know, kind of deteriorates along with that. But I do have sight. I'm not completely blind. I do have sight. I probably would say the best of my vision is gone. So that's how, you know, we kind of found out about that. And it was funny because, like, when they were going through everything with Colleen, you know, figuring out what was wrong, they took a bunch of pictures and did so many tests. And my mom was with her through the whole thing. And uh, my start, my vision started to go bad. And so then they started the process with me, taking me to Vanderbilt, taking me to the hospitals in Louisville and getting on the tests. And my mom was the one who actually figured it out for all the doctors, because she saw the picture of inside of my eye and saw where the disease is starting. See, she had already been through all this with Colleen. And uh, she was like, she sat, she saw the picture right when the eye doctor pulled it up. And she said, Shannon's got stargarts, you know. And so we kind of, you know, for me, fortunately enough, like, I kind of knew what to expect. Um, whereas my sister, they didn't know in the beginning what she had or if she was going to go completely blind. And at one point, they even thought she had a brain tumor because they had no idea what it was.
0: That had to be horrifically scary.
1: I mean, it, it's completely terrifying because you wake up one day, you know, like one day your vision's 20 20, you got perfect vision. And the way it kind of starts is you wake up and you know how, like, you glance into the sun or someone takes a picture and you've got that flash in your eye it kind of starts out like that and then you know like I know for me I started to see that little flash and I was like did I just look kind of like look in the sun too long you know maybe it'll go away you know I I didn't think anything of it you know I just thought maybe you know as a kid (laughs) I was looking at the sun you know all kids do it.
0: So you just thought if you ignored it it would go away and You would go back to life. At least for a short time. Exactly.
1: Because, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, the doctors pretty much said, don't worry about it. It's not going to happen to you. And so I was in denial for it for a long time. And it wasn't until, like, I finally was like, I came to grips with it. And I was like, I I went to my mom and I was like, I can't see. And so uh, then we went to the eye doctor. And, like I said, they took the picture of inside the eye. And when you look, At the picture, it's, you you can see it. I mean, it's like in the center of your eyeball, you can see the darker part of the eye, and you know that's the disease, because basically what it is, is the retina, which is in the very back of your eye, deteriorates, and you can see how that starts to deteriorate, so she saw that.
0: So you were first diagnosed at 12 years old, right? Yeah.
1: Around 12. It was like maybe at the end of being 11 going into 12, somewhere around then.
0: Does it progressively get worse, or does it kind of just stabilize with time?
1: So, the thing about Stargarts is uh, you get diagnosed with it, but most of the time when you get diagnosed with it, it's already halfway done. It's so quick. It's so rapid. Like... The first year I was diagnosed from it, my vision went from 20-20 to 20-200 in one eye and 20-400 in the other eye, you know. And then after it kind of runs its course, it's completely stable. Like, my vision hasn't changed in the last nine years. So, I mean, that is kind of the good part of it is that I'll, I'll never go completely blind. I'll just have, you know, the blind spot in the center of my vision.
0: How did that affect you with finishing grade school?
1: It was a complete and utter nightmare. School was so hard on me and my sister. It was so hard. So we grew up in a small town. And uh, when I'm saying small town, there is this town is the only town in Kentucky that doesn't have a stoplight. That's how small it is. And so um, when we started to lose our vision, you know, we, at first, it was like, how do you help these kids see the material? You know, like, and then back in, like, 2006, 2007, there really wasn't much. I mean, you know, like the little magnifiers that you can hold up that have the plastic ends on them and stuff, like a lot of older people use them. That's what they try to give us, and it was just like I can't see that. I, you know, it was magnified a little bit, but I just I couldn't see it, and uh, the teachers didn't understand, you know, like because if you look at me, if I'm just out on the street doing something, like if you look at me, it, it doesn't look like I've got a visual impairment. Now somebody who has a disability and kind of knows, they could probably tell because I've met other people who are disabled, and they can tell, they can tell me that. But then a normal person, they'll look at me and they'll go, oh, nothing's wrong with her, you know? And so my teachers would look at me and go, this kid's got to be making this stuff up to get out of this work, you know? And so I got assigned a person from the state of Kentucky uh, through the education department and the department of the blind, and basically she came in, about once every two weeks and she you know talked to the teachers and gave me you know equipment to help me but at the end of the day like when you're sitting at your desk and you're in math class and they're writing out a math problem I mean I can't see what's on the board all I can do is listen and my math teachers would expect me to listen to you know algebra and then understand it, and then be able to do it. And, you know, I don't, I don't know like if anybody who can just listen to someone do math and then be able to do it.
0: Yeah, math is a very visual sport. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, and it was so awful. I mean, I consider myself a pretty smart person, but when you looked at my grades, it was like they were giving me all Ds and everything just so they could pass me along, And it was like, I swear I'm not stupid. It's just I can't see it, and I can't, you know, learn how to do it by just listening. That's ridiculous. I mean, it really wasn't up until my senior year of high school when uh, one of my teachers, they finally got all the smart boards in the classrooms, and they would connect up to the teacher's computer monitor. And so my teacher would let me sit at his desk, and I got to look at the monitor, because what he wrote on the board would show up on his monitor. And it was like, finally, like, I can see something. I can do math. But then it's like, I was taking trig, and uh, it's like, oh, my God, I can see it. Oh, my God, I could see it. And I don't know what the heck I'm doing, because since the seventh grade, I've been given Ds, and I've just been passed along, and I don't know how to do any of this.
0: It's one of those two little too late scenarios.
1: I know. And then it's like, what do you do? And so uh, what they ended up doing for me, and, and this isn't right, but they ended up sending me down to the special ed classroom to do my test. And the teacher in there, he understood it. Like he, I felt like he took the time to understand what the situation was and how he could have helped me. But like, I would sit down with the test and, you know, he would try to help me with it. And he finally at one point said, look, I'll just fill this out for you and I'll do it for you because this isn't fair. This isn't fair for you to have to try to do this, to struggle to do this when somebody else wasn't helping you along in the first place. So, I mean, it, it really even went that way when I was in science and when I was, you know, the only class I felt like I did well in was social studies, you know, because, you know, you could just read out of the book. If someone else is reading it out loud I can I can listen, and I can kind of grasp the concept of it.
0: I imagine history would be much easier. You can listen to that a lot easier.
1: Oh, totally. But, like, what was the worst was, like, gym. Because they still expected me to play in gym, and, like, they'd be doing dodgeball. And it's like putting a visually impaired person out in dodgeball, and they're throwing balls at you. And, and like, I did really good at, like, not getting hit. But then I remember one time there was like a pep rally and they were having a dodgeball tournament in front of the whole school. And as my luck would have it, I was out there and I was the only one left on my team. And then there's all these kids throwing balls at me. And I'm like, I was sitting there and I was in like eighth grade and I was like, is this really fair? Like someone should have said something like that wasn't fair at all, you know? And it was quite embarrassing.
0: I understand that it, it was really impossible for me to do physical education in grade school. A lot of times they just shoved me yeah. in the library.
1: I know, and that was the thing that like really devastated me was that I felt like it was always like, well, what can she do that you know we don't have to help her with, and she can just do something else. Like I was in the band, and I loved it. I loved it so much, but then when my vision started to go, I couldn't see the note. And stuff, and I couldn't, you know, read along while I was playing my instrument. So instead of saying, hey, what can we do to help you to stay in band? They said, well, you can't do this, so we're just going to put you in the library during that class. You know, and that, you know, some people go, oh, band, whatever. And that was, it was devastating for me. I was, you know, I was already going through losing my vision, and then they told me I couldn't be in the band. And, you know, that was really where I thrived in school, I felt, and they just kind of took me out, and it was like, well, you know, I can't do anything here, I can't play in gym, I can't do math, now they're taking me out of band, you know, and it was just, it was so, you know, and a lot of people were like, oh, well, you just go over it, it's life, life is tough, and it's just like, Yeah, life is tough, but when you're in middle school and it already sucks for normal kids in middle school, like, it's devastating. And so when I was in middle school, um, I was presented with the lady who helped me from the Department of the Blind had recommended maybe that I should go to the Kentucky School for the Blind, which is a school for blind students up in Louisville, Kentucky, and, you know, I had thought about it for a while, but see, then, you know, my grades were so bad, they were saying, look, you know, you may have to do this, so let's go ahead and give it a try, and I was like, you know, it could be a good way to do some things, so I ended up going to the school for the blind for, like, two weeks, and, you know, and it kind of came at a good time because I was feeling pretty sad for myself and sorry for myself. And then I went up there, and uh, almost everybody up there is 100% blind, you know, and then you quickly realize, hey, you know, I need to get out of this pity party and, and be happy for what I do have.
0: That sounds really heartbreaking that you weren't able to do band. It was one of the few things that you love, and not only, you know, are you losing your vision, but now you can't do something that you love. I can't imagine how devastating that must have been.
1: I know. And it was and it was awful because I just got so fed up. It was like quit telling me I can't do things like the way I am. Just as the person, it's like, don't tell me I can't do it. Let's just figure out together how we can make this possible and how we can make it work. Because there's there's got to be a way. If there's a will, there's a way. You know.
0: What adaptations have you made to the world around you?
1: A million, probably.
0: We're fortunate enough to live in a time where there is so much technology to help if you're blind. It's really amazing if you think about it.
1: I totally agree with that. I uh, when unfortunately when I was in grade school and in high school up until about my last year of high school. My last year of high school, they really that's when all the cool stuff came out. But up until that point it was like I had these little uh, magnifiers, we called them domes, because they look like just like a, a half circle, and you put it down on a piece of paper and you follow the print. Um, that's really all I had for the longest time, and you know, and that was like my life. Like if I needed to read a book, like I had to have that dome, and it was made out of glass, and so it was really heavy, and there was a pretty good chance if you dropped it, it, it was busted, and, and that was it. But the thing with that was, like, um, when I'm reading something, I have to have really good lighting. It's not about it being enlarged. I have to have really good lighting so I can see it. I mean, if it's blown up to 28 font, you know, that's big font. But if it's dim lighting, I can't see it. So I would use that, but then the lighting in the classrooms are so awful, I couldn't see it anyway. So finally, around my senior year, they had these magnifiers that came out, and they were electric. And uh, it kind of looked like a PSP or like a little gaming console. And you would set it down on the book or the paper, and you could change the colors on it. Like, you could make it, instead of it being black font on the white background, you could reverse it. You could do any color, you know, scheme that you needed to see it better. You could zoom it in huge. And then it had a light on it. So, like, you could even read it in the dark. So when they came out with that, it completely changed my life. You know, I thought it was funny. I went through high school. The three years, up until I was a senior, I, I had almost nothing to get me through. and My grades were awful. But then my senior year, you know, I had so much more to help me. You know, the smart boards that connected to the teacher's computers and the magnifier, and uh I was taking college dual credit classes, you know, and I got A's and those. You know, and so it was like it was kind of a good thing feeling for me because it was like see, I'm not stupid, you know.
0: It was really uh self-affirming, I imagine, to be able to prove your
1: Oh my gosh. It, it it felt like I had my life back. I mean, it was so fantastic. Like I was so excited about it, you know, and the other thing they would do for me in high school and in middle school was uh, they would enlarge my papers. They would take a regular sheet of paper. They uh, It had, you know, English problems on it or math problems or whatever, and they would put it in the copier, and you could zoom it in on the copier, and then you could print it out on this huge sheet of paper. And uh, that's really what we did for a long time, and it's a little bit old school, but... That's kind of what we did, and that worked out pretty good. But, you know, when you've got a teacher handing you this huge sheet of paper, you know, and all your other classmates are sitting around you staring at you because you've got this huge paper on your desk, you know, that wasn't very, you know, fun to deal with that.
0: Yeah, but we live in an amazing time where we have technology that can allow people who are blind or have really low vision to be able to to be able to do stuff, you know, there there's an app on the iPhone where you can put a dollar in front of it. It'll tell you if it's a dollar or a twenty or a fifty.
1: Oh, really? Like, I didn't know it. that. That's cool. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, because if you can't see it, you know, you couldn't tell the denominations of a bill.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: So that was a big problem for a long time. You would say, okay, you know, blind person, here's a hundred bucks, but we gave you three ones, <laughs> you know, or something
1: i tell you the coolest app I've seen so far, and I encourage everybody to get it. Sighted people and visually impaired people, you need to get it. And it's called, shoot, I can't remember what it's called. It's like eye something. Um, that narrows it down. What?
0: I said that narrows it down.
1: Yeah, that does kind of narrow it down. <laughs> I can tell you what the app yeah. like. It looks like. It's blue. It's got a white eye on it. It's, I don't know. I can't remember what it's called. It's eye something. But it... It's it's a bl- it's an app for blind people, and if you're in a situation, you're in an airport, you're in the mall, you're in the city, and you can't see where you are and you can't find out where to go, you pull out this, this app on your smartphone, and you click it, and then on there, you, you know, you hit the button where it says, you know, I can't see where I'm at, and it calls a sighted person, and it rings them, it FaceTimes them. And, you know, it calls whoever is on the app at the time. So it calls whoever is closest to you or something, and uh, they'll answer, and you would be like, look, I am say I'm at the airport, and I need to get to gate A7. And you hold your phone up so they can look around so they can see the signs, and the person would be like, yes, keep going, you know, to your right or go the other way. You know, like, they kind of guide you to where you need to go.
0: Is it called Be My Eyes?
1: I think that's it.
0: Yeah, that, I believe that's what it's called.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I think it's just the coolest freaking thing ever.
0: Well, it's even advertised, you know, for someone to be able to read something to you if you were in a pinch.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so. it, for any kind of situation where a blind or visually impaired person is just like, I, I need help, you know. and And that's the other thing, too. Like, for me, it's hard to go up and ask somebody for help. Because, like I said, if you look at me, it doesn't look like I've got a problem. But, in fact, you know, like, I may have a major problem, but I'm just too nervous to ask.
0: What brings you joy?
1: My horses. (laughs) I, uh, I've got one horse right now, and I board him here in town with me, and, uh, I've been riding horses since before I lost my vision. And I felt like when, I'm sorry, I always get choked up when people ask me about this. Um, I felt like that was just like the one thing that people said I couldn't do. You know, it's like everything else It turned into I couldn't do it. And that was something I could still do and it kind of got me through. I felt like the horses they kind of knew what was going on when I was going through losing my vision. And it was just it's amazing how in tune they are with with people. And so like all, you know, when you hear stuff about therapy riding, it's like it's true. Like it it works. And so I've had my horse now since god, I was 12. So this is actually the 10th year I've had him. It's like our 10-year anniversary. And uh, that horse, I mean, like, he just, he saved my life almost, you know? It's just, he got me through some very, very dark times in my life. And it's just, that's something that just brings me true joy. And I know that because when I'm around him, I don't think about my vision at all.
0: It's that continuation of the before and the after that I imagine that can be really helpful, yeah that you know you know that your life goes on
1: yeah exactly, you know, and and I mean like for for me, it was just like when I was losing my vision, like I would trip over stuff all the time and fall up and down the stairs, and if I was outside, if i fell over a twig, like it was completely you know, normal that might at that time in my life to have that happen. But then when I was like riding my horse around, you know, and definitely in a field with no trees, you know, the trees can still get me. Um, But if I'm out somewhere, you know, and I'm riding around, it's like, I don't have to worry about that. Like he's the one carrying me around and I don't have to worry about falling in a hole or, you know, stepping over something and falling, you know?
0: He can be your eyes for a short time.
1: Yeah, for temporary, you know, for temporary. And and that's what, you know, I think that a lot of people, I think anybody with a disability or anything like that, they need that escape. They need some sort of escape to not think about it because when you're out in day-to-day life, I know I feel like this, I don't know if you feel like this, but there's constant slaps in the face almost of things that you can't do even little things like going to the grocery store going to the grocery store is a nightmare for me
0: i'll say for me it's the inescapableness of it it's the you know next morning you'll wake up and it's the same that Uh nothing's changed that it's not a dream that you know the problem's still there that is the difficult one for me
1: Yeah, and that there's nothing anybody can do to change it. I remember going to the eye doctor every year for my annual checkup. And every year i go in and, you know, with my hopes up that, hey, stem cell research, it's coming out. Like, this is the year that my vision is fixed and I can move on with my life. And I remember the last time I had gone, you know, I I asked someone, I like, hey, stem cells, like, what's going on with that? And he looked at me and he finally said, Shannon, like, you just, you know, you need to stop asking about it pretty much. Like, it's not going to happen for a very long time still, you know, and you need to focus on what you're doing now and not worry about that, you know. And so that's kind of like, ugh, I don't want to hear that.
0: I know it's not the same thing, but I also have poor vision. You know, like I, I, I can still see and I can see well enough to drive, but I still don't have very great vision and I hate wearing glasses and they hurt my nose and stuff. Yeah. So every year I keep hoping that they'll come up with something to correct my vision because regular LASIK wouldn't quite do it. Why? So, but so far, not, not so good.
1: Well, and it's not like on the front burner of things. You know, of course, they want to cure like cancer and AIDS and, you know, and I completely understand. Like curing Stargarts is not the number one thing someone wants to do right now. And so, you know, I finally had to come with, to grips with that. I finally, like when my eye told me that and, you know, I, I sat down and I kind of told myself like, Shannon, you need to kind of get over this and let's move on. That you need hard. to
0: focus more on the reality.
1: Exactly, because I feel like when you're diagnosed with something, when you're not born with something, and then you're diagnosed with it later on in life, I think you're gonna go through that denial of having it, and that oh well, maybe I've got it, but I know there's gonna be cure for it. You know, because like for years and years after I was diagnosed, it was like. Oh, well, I'm not going to have this when I'm a grown-up. You know, this is just a childhood thing. You know, by the time I'm 22, they're going to have it cured. And, you know, I'm sitting here for 22 now, and it's like, well, they haven't made any progress, so.
0: What was it like for your relationship with your parents? How was it for them?
1: It was devastating for my mom. It. I think, I think any parent, though, that when their child gets diagnosed with something that's you know life-altering they always cry you know I remember my mom finding out about Colleen and she was crying you know and then I remember her finding out about me and she was the one crying I was just sitting there like I don't know whatever and then uh, you know my dad was the same way but then my dad was my dad tended to be more optimistic like you know, hey, maybe they will have a cure, you know, cause, and I think he did that because I was so devastated by everything that had happened that he just kept saying that to keep my hopes up, whereas my mom was the one who was like, look, this is the reality. This is what you need to deal with and stop looking for, you know, a cure because, you know, she didn't say that, but she kind of had that mentality behind it, you know.
0: I I absolutely understand. For a large portion of my young life, it was a hope for my parents that I would walk. And right. at one point, it was obvious that it wasn't going to happen.
1: We love our parents, but at the end of the day, you know, we are the ones who have to live with this. And, you know, it can be anybody who can be there for you. But at the end of the day, I've been very blessed. and <laughs> It sounds kind of bad. I've been very blessed that my sister has the same thing I do. So, like, we kind of compare notes on it. You know, I'll be like, hey, can you see this? Or, hey, you know, does this bother you? And she'll be like, yeah, it does. You know, and so it kind of like reassures me a lot.
0: It's good to have that partner to go through with it in life. I absolutely understand that.
1: Yeah. And so, like, when she was losing her vision and then I started to lose mine, like, she would tell me, like, look, hey, don't get freaked out but this is what's going to happen. You know, I have like a warning. And so, like, I feel like if I didn't have that, like, it would have been more devastating, you know?
0: If you could do any job, if education, cost, or physical ability were not a factor, just pure enjoyment, what would you like to do?
1: Someone may call me crazy, but it would probably be a career in politics. (laughs) It would be that or definitely real estate. I love real estate. And I really, really love, like, flipping house stuff and, you know, like, all the shows basically on HDTV. Like, I love all that stuff. I feel like if my vision wasn't in the way, I would definitely be wanting to do something like that. Or, you know, something on the flip side in politics.
0: Well, see, that's how me and you met was in a political science course. I know. (laughs) So that doesn't surprise me.
1: I know. That class always made me laugh because it, you know, like when... Everyone just kind of sitted, you know, in their spot, and then as the semester went, it's like all the Republicans went to one side, and then all the Democrats <laughs> went to one side, and then us disabled people were, like, sitting, you know, over there, like, hey! So. That
0: class sticks out in my mind for how laid back it was. Yeah. Just how unstructured it was throughout. Oh, it was but that's fantastic. Sad. Yeah, that's what sticks out to me because I took a second political science class, which was the exact opposite, and I actually dropped it.
1: See, that was one of the biggest downfalls I had at college where it was like I felt like my senior year of high school, like things had gotten really good, and then I thought college would be even better. But it was when you're in a class of 300 people and you're visually impaired and, and there's no one there to help you, it's like they're setting you up to fail again you know and i had major issues college for that reason
0: i think it's really admirable that you at least gave it a try
1: oh heck yeah and i mean i had even considered going back for a i mean i stayed at western for 2 years until i got a job offer in new york and then i just decided that that was going to be a better route for me and uh ended up being the opposite but uh i really enjoyed my time at western i just felt like you know, and I don't know, you know, with a big public kind of school versus a smaller private school, I almost felt like if I could have done it over again, I would have done a smaller private school. I felt like that would have helped me a lot more than being in a huge university.
0: I forgot to ask this earlier. Why didn't you stay at the school for the blind?
1: I was, just, it was so far away from home. I mean, it was in Louisville. Was it one of those
0: things where you had to, like, stay there over the week? Yes.
1: They had dorms Mm -hmm. and everything. It was like a boarding school. I mean, like, you could go home on the weekends, but, you know, getting home from Louisville to Bowling Green every weekend, you know, you drive in two and a half hours, it just wasn't a good setup. And at that point, I I owned a horse, and my horse was in Bowling Green, and I was there, and... My horse is my escape, and I wanted to be where my horse was. And so I just, I called my mom two weeks in, and I was like, look, this isn't for me. Yeah. Now, if I would have stayed, I think I would have benefited a lot. And looking back, I think I should have given it more of a try and offer, you know. But I don't know. I mean, you can't change the past. But I think if I could do it over again, I would have stayed.
0: I find that the main flaw with a lot of specialty schools, that's the way they do schools for the deaf as well, where typically each state will have, like, one, and you basically have to stay there.
1: Yeah. i tell you something funny, though. When I was going there, they actually had, like, a shuttle that would take you from, say, Bowling Green or, like, a city, and they would take you from that city to the school for the blind or and then the school for the deaf. And they made the blind kids and deaf kids ride together. And it always made me wonder, like, how is that benefiting anybody? Like, the blind kids are over there talking about the deaf kids. And the deaf kids are over there signing about the blind kids. And no one can understand anybody. And it was always just kind of funny to me how they had that set up.
0: Oh, I would find that incredibly stimulating. <laughs> like I would. Ew. And it was
1: like, I had a friend and she rode the shuttle. I never got to experience it. But she said exactly that, that the blind kids sit on one side and the deaf kids sit on the other side. And they talk about each other, but no one can understand each other. (laughs) And I always found it incredibly funny.
0: Who inspires you or who do you look up to? It doesn't have to be someone with a disability.
1: Well, someone with a disability who has inspired me is a lady called Maria Runyon. And she's got Stargardt's disease. And she runs track and field. And she ran in the Special Olympics and won. And so that was, I found that really inspiring that she kind of had the confidence to, you know, go out there and go running. And it's just like, that's one of the things that like kind of scares me a little bit. I wouldn't say scare, but it makes me uncomfortable going out there and running because you're, you know, you're going so fast and if you don't see something in time, you're going to fall over it or, or something. But she went out and ran in these Special Olympics and she won, you know, I find that very inspiring. Well, aside from Maria Runyon, uh, my friend, the friend of mine, her name is Kaylee, and she has a, a disease called MPS, and it's life-threatening disease. And she's the one that inspires me. She was someone that was not supposed to live after the age 16, and was told she was going to be wheelchair-bound, and she just ran her first 5K. So yeah, she's someone that very much inspires me.
0: What is the biggest challenge you've had to overcome?
1: I don't know. I think personally, I think that it was learning how to stand up for myself in the, maybe learning how to stand up for myself in a work situation. When you're working at a public corporation in situations like that, I, uh, for a long time, I, I didn't know how to stand up and say, hey, I need accommodations. And for a long time, I just kind of tried to deal with things, and and it just never worked. Like, I kind of got my confidence built down, or destroyed, really, when I took a job in New York. And I won't say who it was for, but I was basically a personal assistant to a lady who owned horses. And she was planning on trying to get, you know, to the international level. And she was very good. Um, but when I went up there, I, I didn't tell them about my visual impairment. I mean, I don't think that, if, I think if I can do the job, I I don't need to tell you that I've got a visual impairment. If I'm qualified and I can do the job, I don't need to tell you. That's that's my opinion. Everyone's opinion is different.
0: Well, it's illegal exactly. for them to ask. So you're yeah, in the and right
1: I mean, Nowhere in the job description did it say, did it say I need to drive or I need to be able to see 12 font. You know, it, it never said anything like that. And then with the horses, like I'm so good at that anyway. So I had left college and I flew up to New York and I was so excited because I had this job and it was a real job. And I was just so excited. And I was up there a week and it was going great. I really thought it was going great. And we were at, they were having like a party there at their house. And this lady, she had two homes. She would go to Florida for the winter and be in New York in the summer. And it was about the time where they were about to pack up and drive down to Florida for the winter. And I was, and they had said something about me (laughs) driving somewhere, me getting behind the wheel. I can't remember where I was going, but they asked me if I could drive somewhere. And it was kind of in that moment I was like, oh, crap, you know, like, I can't drive, and I told them, I said, well, um, I can't drive, I I don't have a driver's license, I played it off, like, oh, I just never got one, and then they were like, well, why, and I said, well, I'm visually impaired, I didn't pull up the blind word, but I said, I'm visually impaired, and I just don't want to take the risk of getting into an accident, and the lady said to me, are you legally blind, and I was sitting there and I just, it was like, what do you do? What do you say? And I told them, I said, yes. I was kind of like, yes. And they kind of talked about it. You know, they left it alone. And then the next day they came up to me and said, "Um, you can go ahead and book your flight home. We won't be needing you anymore. And it devastated me. I had pulled so many strings to get up there to go to New York to have this job and it was gonna give me basically the equestrian world at my fingertips. You know, like I was in the in network, you know, like if if I would have stayed there and started training with this lady, the the chances of me riding with someone and potentially going to the Olympics was not far fetched at all. You know, like this was my dream. And because I was visually impaired and I couldn't drive a truck, which was not in the interview at all. And I had three interviews with them. It never came up. They never asked me and they took it away from me just like that. And so because of that, when I started to work, when I came back to Kentucky and I started to work, my biggest thing that I had to overcome was saying, Hey, I'm visually impaired and you better like it or then it's not, I'm leaving. I didn't know how to stand up for myself.
0: Was it a job or like an internship?
1: Oh, It was a job. Oh. But it had a job with so many perks, and I was getting paid to be there, and it was so great. And and then it was just completely cut off. And so, I mean, I, I did, you know, for a long time I was very bitter about it. And, uh, sorry. I was very bitter about it, but then I, I went ahead and took it as a learning experience and I said, well, I can't change what happened in it. And if someone can't accept me for the way I am and what I can bring to the table, then I don't need to work for them anyway. And it actually came into, you know, it came into, you know, a good situation. I mean, I uh, that situation helped me so many ways. I took a retail job during Christmas last year. At I'll go ahead and say at JCPenney, and uh, I told them I said I'm visually impaired, and basically you know you better like it or not because I'm visually impaired. And they said okay that's fine, and they hired me. Well, what did they do? They put me on a cash register, and said if I can't run a cash register, I'm fired. And I told them I couldn't do it, and uh, and the manager was like, well if you can't do it, we're gonna fire you. And I and at Meet Shannon three years ago. If you had said that to me, I would have, you know, been a coward and you know, kind of hid from that. And you know, but I told him, I said, Well, I guess I'm not your girl. And he said, If you quit on me right now, I'm going to give you bad ref- references. And I was like, You know what? I don't care. And I threw down my name, my name badge, and I walked out. And so I just felt like that that prior experience in New York helped me to realize that I'm more than just somebody who runs a cash register. You know, I bring more to the table than that. So after that, I ended up starting my own little business, and it's just, it's been great ever since, so.
0: What are you doing with your business?
1: It's kind of ironic, and you can't laugh when I say it, but I'm a dog walker now. I think it's kind of ironic, the blind girl with the dogs.
0: I suppose as long as the dogs can see. That's supposed to be a joke, by the way. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it was funny. Like, I, I quit that job, and then there was someone where the apartments where I lived, they were like, hey, I need a dog walker. And I was like, okay, I can do that. And started walking her dogs, and then other people were seeing what was going on, and they're like, hey, I need a dog walker. And so, like, now I've got four dogs here, three dogs off from the apartments, so they're not here, but I've got seven dogs here, not here, but I've got seven dogs that I walk or take care of, and two cats.
0: How do you think people see you?
1: It depends. It, if they know my visual about my visual impairment and they're a stranger, I think that they expect to see me with a cane and a dog. And then if it's somebody who doesn't really see my visual impairment, then I would say successful person.
0: How do you wish people would see you?
1: As somebody who can do something and somebody and for someone that can do something and doesn't ever say I can't do something because of my vision but I think anybody who's got a disability thinks that too that they're not the person who can't do something that they're the person who can find a way to do something and I think if you're given the right opportunity and the right people who are supportive, that you can do anything.
0: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say at the pearly gates?
1: I don't know. Like I, I, I've never really sat down and thought about that. Never. I mean, sure, everybody wants to hear like, oh, my, my disease is going to be cured and I can go into heaven and I can see. But I don't know. I don't really expect that I feel like, I don't know, that I'm always going to have my vision. And it's kind of a part of me. Like, I don't know. I'd almost be kind of scared to, like, be completely sighted. And it sounds strange, but I don't know. Like, I see other people, and and they're completely sighted. And I'm like, wow, those people are supernatural. Like, that's crazy. Like, we were going through the drive-thru the other night, and my boyfriend was reading The drive through menu, and, you know, I couldn't see any of it. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, he's got superpowers. Like, that's crazy.
0: Makes him more attractive.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I guess. (laughs) But the bad part is, like, when you're originally impaired and you're dating somebody, like, people always say, oh, well, if you had better vision, you wouldn't be with that person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're punching below your weight. (laughs) <laughs> yeah
1: right <laughs>
0: um, I think that's about it thanks for doing this with me this was great I was
1: really excited to do this I was looking forward to doing this all day I uh, I kept forgetting about it I don't know how but then like finally when I set up a date I was like oh it's so funny because I listened to the other ones and I was like my interview is not going to be as good as the other ones you've already done but it's just like I feel like Having a visual impairment versus being in a wheelchair is like two completely different worlds. Like, I have my own set of struggles and you have your own set. Like, I know a couple of times, like, we have walked class together and you would have to take a completely different route than I had taken. And it's just like, it doesn't put it in perspective, you know? Like, I think everybody should go blindfold themselves and walk around town for a little bit to see how I see. But, you know, at the same time, I just wish that, other people could understand. I mean, I'm sure maybe you feel like if someone could spend a day in a wheelchair that they would be you know, they would help, they would come up with more ways to help, you know?
0: On one hand, I think everybody having a day in a wheelchair would be great. But on the other hand, I don't think a day is enough. All day you're going to be thinking about not being in the wheelchair. Yeah, like and then all and then at the end of the day it's done. And you, and you're able bodied again and it doesn't matter. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, I tell you though, like the one thing I've I've come to realize and I don't know if you feel the same way, but for me it's like I just have to have a sense of humor about things. If I don't have a sense of humor about things, like I would be a very miserable person because
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah, because like it just embarrassing stuff happens. Like I can't tell you how many times I've gotten in the car with the wrong person because I couldn't see who was <laughs> in the car. You know, or like, I wore a black flip flop and a blue one because I couldn't, you know, get the colors right. Or if I put my shirt on inside out, or you know, like, it's just like, at some point, you just have to laugh about it.
0: Yeah, a sense of humor is very helpful. Like that, uh, that football player, Colin Kaepernick, I have gotten my mileage out of that. Yeah. That's that's been one of the greatest things to happen to me lately. Yeah, like I don't right. stand for the national anthem. What's the big deal? <laughs> you know, so I have gotten my money's worth. Yeah, right. On that one. <laughs> like, I know I'll, that's not what it's about, but Yeah, still. right, <laughs> right.
1: But it's like I understand because it's like I'll stand up for it, but then I'm like, Well where the hell is the flag? And I'm like turned around. <laughs> facing away from the flag, you know?
0: You're, like, hand on your heart, looking the wrong direction.
1: I know, right?
0: (laughs) That's something I never would have thought of. That's amazing. I know,
1: yeah. So, I mean, like, I think of stuff like that, too. And that has happened. I'm telling you, like, if you think about it, it's happened.
0: (laughs) It's when your boyfriend's, like, grabbing you and turning you the other direction.
1: You know, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. I just think about things like that, (laughs)
0: Well, like I said, thanks for doing this with me. And I, I, so, have so you listened to the first two episodes? Because I want you to know that you were kind of an inspiration for what I'm doing here. I don't know yeah, if yeah, I heard that. To, and yeah. It
1: really touched me.
0: Yeah. Well, because before I met you, I didn't know what life was like to not be able to see.
1: And it uh-huh. was completely you know, for me meeting you. Like I'd never met anybody in a wheelchair. Like I didn't know the struggles of, you know, getting, just getting to class. And, like, I remember, like, times where the elevator didn't work in our political science class, and it was like, what do you do? Well, it's like, I can at least see you get up the stairs. So, it, I mean, I don't know it's fine. I was just going to say, I mean, it's, it's, it's a completely different world versus you and me or our disabilities, but at the same time, it's like, it does bring us together because we do have those everyday struggles and just those little things.
0: Or, or like it was that time when we went to study in the library and I couldn't find the the accessible entrance. So, yeah. like, I eventually just told you, you go inside, I'll find it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I basically had to circle the building until I found a door I could go in.
1: she's like, the same problem. They meet me up with this. I'm like, well, I can't find where you are. I can't see you. <laughs> See, it's like the problem you have is you can't get in the door. I can't find the door.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're like circling the building. Not a door. Not a door.
1: I'm telling you, it's happened.
0: So, yeah. Well, I just wanted you to know that you were kind of an inspiration for this, and I hope that I can kind of capture a little bit of that, of that essence of, you know, learning about someone else's point of view.
1: Completely agree. Yeah.
0: This was a blast. Thank you so much for doing it.
1: All right. Not a problem. Thanks.
0: Thanks so much to Shannon McCaffrey for being a guest on this episode. I was really excited when she agreed to do it, and I hope one day to have her on again. If you have a moment, please rate the podcast in iTunes. It really helps out the show, and to share it with your friends. You can follow the show on Twitter at Ability Podcast, and myself on Twitter at Holt. You can send us an email to abilitypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. I can't wait until next time.